The sermon has been preached, but you need to hear yet another one, unfortunately for you. Last week, um, I got done with preaching and came down uh, the aisle here, and her son, soon-to-be son, Quentin, one of the two that she's adopting, uh, said, Pastor Scott, and I leaned down and got at his eye level, and he whispered in my ear, he drew me close and said, I'm an adoption kid, because we've been talking so much about this. I said, I I know, Quentin, that makes you very special. And I go, and, and Jesus has adopted you too. And he grabbed me and hugged me. He hugged me so, so hard. And so, Heidi, you guys are uh, heroes in our midst. We praise God for what you're doing. And church, uh, after one of the applications of our sermon today will be, we need to do everything in our power to know what does this young family need and help meet that need. That's, so if you say, well, I, I'm, I know I'm not called to adopt. Some of you aren't. Not all of us are. But we're all called to care, and that's going to be one of the points of this sermon. And so we need to be ready to respond. What, what does this family need? Those who are called to, and will step up, and I'm begging God that many of us in this church will, then how can we, those who maybe aren't called to actually adopt or foster, then how can we respond uh, and care? Our point this morning is this. It's going to be on the screen. Because the theology of adoption is our identity, and it is, and I'm going to show you that it is, the practice of adoption is our calling. It is. Because the theology of adoption is our identity, the practice of adoption has to be a part of the Christian's calling. I want to read to us from Romans 8 this morning, verses 14 through 18. If you have a Bible, would you please turn there? Please stay there. Uh, Open it on your device or however you look, but it's also found in the bulletin. Pastor Gray read from a large section in our confession this morning of Romans 8. This is literally <laughs> one of the most central passages in the entire Bible. And he says this, our Apostle Paul, verses 14 through 18. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. After college, um, I was still single. It was one of those moments like where you go into college and you're like, you know, this is my chance, right? And uh, I'm surrounded by literally thousands of people my own age. And it's kind of like I... I felt like if I don't meet someone to marry in college, like the likelihood of that happening is getting slimmer, not the least of which I was 22, and yet I looked like I was about 35 to 40. I was working on my George Costanza look, and I had, a, I had it going. If you're, if you're familiar with Seinfeld, I was balding, started balding like very early, like 19. So by 22, 23, I look very Costanza-like, which made 
at least in my perspective, my odds slimmer and slimmer and slimmer towards finding uh, my, a wife. And I realized as a young man who decided to not go to law school but then felt a calling into ministry, of course, I needed to marry a Christian. Um, and so that limited uh, my perspectives quite a, as well. And not only after that, when I decided that I was going to go into ministry, I realized I couldn't just marry someone that was a Christian only, that I needed to marry someone that shared my calling as a pastor. And so again, I just felt like the, the, the potential, the statistics are dwindling and dwindling and dwindling for me to find anyone. And then when Becky and I started dating, I quickly asked her, you know, uh, we defined the relationship one week, and like one week later, I just said, can you see yourself being, you know, wed, if you will, to to a pastor, because this is my calling, and I need to know whether you could follow me in that calling. Can you, I don't want this to be miserable for you, and it can't just be something you're like, yeah, I'm fine if you do it. You need to, to join me in that calling. And I want us to see this morning as this, like for Christians, we are united to Christ. We're literally called the, the bride of Christ, male and female. And therefore, to be wed to Christ, to be united to him in this way, means we are connected to him and his mission in this world. And as we're going to see, one of his primary missions in the world is adoption. If you're a Christian, you have been adopted by God through the saving works of Jesus Christ. This is, this is what I want to impress upon you this morning. So there are several things I want you to see from our text. And it's this, that adoption is our identity. Adoption is our identity. We've sung about it this morning, and we've, we've, we've uh, read about it in this passage. While we are created in God's image, because of sin, we are not naturally born into a right relationship with God. In a very general sense, we'll say all people are the sons and daughters of God, and again, that is true in the sense that we are image bearers of God, but because of sin, the sad reality is that there's brokenness in our relationship and that there is distance in our relationship. And so we are not born into a right relationship with God, but through the saving acts of Jesus Christ, by faith in him and what he's done, we are the adopted sons and daughters of God. The Bible describes us as slaves to sin, alienated from God, and yet through Jesus, we have things like sonship. And there's so many things I want us to see from this text. The first is this. We receive sonship through adoption. Sinclair Ferguson is a, is a theologian and a pastor from Scotland. I've always coveted his voice because anyone with a Scottish accent like can preach. I mean, just I won't try right now, but if you have that, that broke, like everyone wants to lean in and listen. He's also a genius. That doesn't hurt. And he writes this, The notion that we are children of God, his own sons and daughters, is the mainstream or mainspring of Christian living. Our sonship to God is the apex of creation and the goal of redemption. And so it says in verse 14, All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All who are led by by the Spirit of God, everyone, Paul says, who has the Spirit is in Christ, and anyone who does not have the Spirit is not in Christ. And so there's all kinds of applications I could get off on there, but like, not the least of which, though, and this is a side issue, is there is no Christian who does not have the Holy Spirit. 
At times, some, some churches and ideas teach that, well, there are some Christians who have the Spirit and some who do not have the Spirit, but that's not what Paul says. If you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of God. The question, of course, is are you being filled with the Spirit? Are you obeying the Spirit? Are you walking in the Spirit? But to be a Christian is to have the Spirit. That's good. That's good news. Now, Paul says all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God, and he's He's not being a chauvinist here, but it kind of sounds like it. All of us are sons of God. Why doesn't he say daughters? He's actually making a theological point and a powerful one that you need to know. If you're a, if you're a female, you need to know you're a son of God. And what he means by this, and from here on out after that, I'm going to call you daughters, okay? But what he means is this. In this culture, daughters had no power. They had no rights. They had no privileges for inheritance. So Paul is not entering into that culture and saying that's okay. Instead, he's being a revolutionary, and he's saying in Jesus Christ, daughters have the same privileges as firstborn sons. That's what he's saying. In Christ, male or female, he says in Galatians, there is no male or female in Christ, that we're all sons of God. And what that means is this. If you're a secondborn son, that's not good either. The firstborn son in this culture had all the rights of inheritance, had all the privileges, and like the bulk of the inheritance were going to go to the firstborn son. Everyone else kind of got the leftovers. And the daughters had very, very little. They needed to get married to have any rights or privileges. And yet what Paul is saying, he's not being a chauvinist, he's being a revolutionary. He's saying all of us in Jesus Christ are firstborn sons of God. Sonship. You have sonship in Jesus. All of us do through Christ. The next thing I want us to see is this. We receive security through adoption. You have security through adoption. Romans 8, 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Paul doesn't contrast, look, look at this text. He doesn't contrast being an orphan, uh, or excuse me, he doesn't contrast uh, being an orphan with being adopted. He contrasts being a slave with being adopted. Interesting. Now, why does he do that? Why slaves and adoption, not orphan and adoption? I don't know exactly his reasoning, but I know this. In this culture, most orphans would be slaves. Not all slaves would be orphans, but nearly all orphans would be slaves because that's, Gray kept mentioning the system, the system, the system. There was no system back then of care except for, for people who cared, like Christians. The system was slavery. You could work your way out of slavery. This was an indentured slavery, and, and like, like it was in America, it, it was a different form, but still, you would be enslaved. You'd have a master, and that would lead to great insecurity. Paul says, though, you have not received the spirit of slavery, and he's also saying we were slaves to sin, but now we're orphans. You're, you're no longer a slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness. This is one of his points in Romans 7 and Romans 8. See, slaves had no security. If they had a good master, that was a good thing, but there was no sense of like you, you have rights and privileges that, that you'll always be in this household, that you'll always be with us. You're an employee in essence. 
There's no security. There's no job security. There's certainly no familiar security. You would just simply be working, and you would live out of fear. What if, what if I do something wrong? Maybe I'll be abused by my master. Maybe I'll be you know, released from my master. I have no sense of security. But what Paul is saying is in Jesus Christ, you're no longer insecure. You have the security of a father's love for you who's adopted you into his family. You've not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you've received adoption. And so from the first part of our passage this morning, I want us to see is this theology of adoption. And one of our greatest problems in the gospel is this. We don't live out of the reality that we are the adopted sons and daughters of God. We're still living as if we are slaves. Because it says, you've not been given a spirit of fear, and yet I know you, sheep of mine, and I know my own heart, and we far too often live out of fear, do we not? Anxiety, anger, fear, control. Just last night, I got a new car recently, a new used car, and uh, I've been babying this thing. I have a tendency to just let my cars get horrible and, and gross and, like, and, and, you know, smell bad, and I don't clean them very often, and I leave trash in there. It's awful. And then, but this one, and I always say, but this one, no. You know, every time I get a new car, not this one. Well, this one has been two months, and I've washed it every week. I've taken all the trash out. I've been pampering it and babying it. And the other day, I was thinking as I'm pampering and wiping down everything and making sure everything in the garage has moved away from it, I'm thinking, God's probably going to allow me to get into an accident pretty soon. Because this is clearly a small idol. You know, I'm not bowing and singing songs to it, but I, I love this car, and I'm yelling at the kids, get away from the car, you know. So last night, we're pulling into a, a friend's, or at the ho- a hotel in downtown Tempe. We're going to a bar mitzvah of one of our best friend's children, and a taxi cab backs right into it. <laughs> and I'm honking, going, stop, stop. Why I didn't go in reverse, I don't know. I didn't have time, but I'm just, stop, stop. And he backs right into me. And I get out, and I'm just marching around and looking at it, ah, you know, and, and he denies it. He goes, I can't believe you hit me. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? You know, so I'm, I'm angry, and I'm filled with fear and anxiety, and what if this, and what if this, and what if they don't pay? I, I wish I could tell you, like, in that moment, I'm just like, brother, do you know Jesus? You know what I mean? Like, you're a liar, and Jesus died for liars. And like, no, instead, I'm like... You, what are you drunk? I mean, what have you done to my car? Like, I'm, I'm yelling at, I, I'm not yelling actually, but I'm, I'm intense and I'm, I'm calling him sir and I'm being respectful, but I, I'm really fearful, okay, in this moment. Like, what if? What if he doesn't pay? What if, I mean, he's lying. He's saying he didn't do it and uh, whatever. I'm still intense about it. Anxious, fear, worry. This is our default mode, but Paul keeps trying to drive into us. You're living that way because you're not living out of who you actually are. You're not just adopted. You're adopted by the one who matters. I mean, it's awesome to be adopted, but you know, not every adoptive parent is a good parent. That's why healthy Christians, even more so, should be the ones adopting. Not everyone gets adopted into a great family, but you have been adopted. Not only into the best, fa- not just the best family. It's the king of the universe, the one for whom. Everything was created, and everything was created for. He adopted you. So why do we act like slaves? Why do we live like slaves and orphans, insecure? You know, and if you've done orphan ministry at all, you know. Like, I've been, I used to have an orphanage ministry, not me, but we would take our students to Mexico and work with orphans down there. And I've told you about this many times. They are clingy and insecure, and they're scared and fearful. Why? Because they are orphans and abandoned. 
but this is how we live. And Paul says there's no need any longer. You're no longer a slave. You're the sons and daughters of God. Next I want us to see that is this, is we receive intimacy through adoption. You receive sonship, you receive security, and you receive intimacy. And, and some of the songs we sing at times, even I, you know, as a theologian or whatever, get like, oh, this is syrupy and sappy, and like, you're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are. And, and par- I have to admit, part of me is like, it's so repetitious. It's what, but you know, this is so beautiful. It's who I am. It's who you are. It's who I am. It's who you are. It's who I am. And the Father who has called us, who loves us, is saying, I want that kind of intimacy with you. It's who I am. It's who you are. It says here in verse 15, for you, again, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but, contrast, you've received the spirit of adoption. Fear and, and slavery versus adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Most of us Americans and Westerners, when we read Abba, we just think of that bad band from the 70s. The sweet, <laughs> I mean, incredible band if you like them. <laughs> it's an Aramaic term that means daddy. And you've heard that if you've been around the church long enough. But on the one hand, God is the sovereign king of the universe, but when you come right related to him and become his son or daughter, the Bible, Paul himself, the Apostle Paul is saying, there's a sense in which you're now brought into not only the throne room of God, the, but because you've been forgiven, you're now brought into the, the family room of God. And so you call out, your heart through the Holy Spirit cries out, Abba, Daddy. If you go to the Middle East, you'll, you'll hear children, Abba, 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 Father. It's, and it's not Holy Supreme Father, it's Daddy. My boys never call me Father, except in jest. Father, they'll, they'll literally joke, like, yes, Father, like, but they're kidding. They call me Dad, Daddy, D, that's a new one lately, uh, Padre. I have a million terms of endearment, and a couple that I promised I wouldn't tell them because it's embarrassing, but like, they, it's, they love me, and they've got all these different words for me, and it's terms of endearment and intimacy. It's, it's built in relationship. Is your heart crying out, Abba? Father, Daddy, he's inviting you into his life, intimacy, through adoption. The next I want us to see briefly is this. We receive assurance through adoption. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And I think every orphan, as they're being adopted, has got to be at a place, they're in this very insecure place, like uh, Heidi was sharing how they're in, in the process of adopting their two sons. And, and one of their sons, Quentin, keeps asking the seven-year-old, uh, am I adopted yet? They're, going, they're in counseling. They have, there's all this process that they have to go through. And it, each step of the process, does this mean I'm adopted? Does this mean I'm an adopted? Why? Because there's this sense of lack of, of assurance that everything's okay, a lack of security. Like, is this it? Is this it? And she goes, no, honey, you will know. We're going to throw a huge party. You're going to know. And, and what he's asking is this. Do I have assurance? Is it done? Is this matter taken care of? And in a sense, we live that way as well. And, and, and some of you doubt, even if you're a Christian, whether you have assurance of things are right between you and God. But I've got such great news for you that in the gospel, you have assurance 
that you are the son of God, that you are a daughter of God. Romans 8, 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And the Bible says so throughout. Romans 8, if you doubt whether you, know, you're, you have assurance of salvation, whether you can know that you're forgiven, know that you're a child of God, know that you're connected rightly to him, read Romans 8. Read all of Romans. Read Galatians. See what Paul says about grace and forgiveness and being brought into the family of God. You don't have to live your life wondering, am I in, am I out? If I have a good day, I'm in. If I have a bad day, I'm out. If I read my Bible, I'm in. If I don't, I'm out. If I, if I don't sin for a couple minutes, I'm in. You know what I'm saying? It's like back and forth. Do you have assurance? The Bible says, yes, through Jesus Christ, you have assurance. You, you can quit living with such insecurity. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that you're children of God. There's, so the Bible is clear, but the Holy Spirit is also clear. He will bear witness to your spirit, your heart, if you'll listen. And say, well, no, when I quiet my heart down, all I hear is shame and rejection, and that I'm not a child of God. Well, that's probably the voice of the liar. If you're in Christ, that's the voice of the liar, the deceiver. That's not the voice of the spirit because in Christ you have assurance. It bears witness with our spirit. You're my son. You are my daughter. Listen for his voice in the scriptures. Listen to his voice in prayer. He will bear witness to your spirit that you're a child of God. Next, I want us to see that we receive inheritance through adoption. Inheritance. Verses 16 through 17. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then what? Heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. (laughs) How can you ever believe that? You are an heir of God with Christ. And I ask you many times, do you believe that the Father loves the Son? You always say, because it's like a good Sunday school class, yes, yes, Pastor Scott, yes, of course we believe the Father loves the Son. Do you believe that Jesus Christ has an inheritance from the Father? We believe in a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all three persons, one God. Do you believe that the Son is perfectly equal of God, but deserves an inheritance from the Father, has an inheritance from the Father. Paul just said something insane to you and me that, let's say it again, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. In essence, what he's saying is what Jesus Christ deserves will be ours also. But I know what my heart does. It quickly says, but I don't deserve that. Of course you don't. (laughs) And if you don't say that, if you're saying, well, I deserve that, that's right. I deserve inheritance with Christ. You're probably not a Christian. If you say you deserve it, you are probably not a Christian yet. But if you're saying, well, if your natural reaction, well, of course I don't deserve that, then yeah, there's hope for you. No, you don't deserve it, but that's the gospel. You don't get what you deserve in the gospel. You get the opposite. What you deserve, what Scott Brown, Reverend Scott Brown, deserves, 
is separation from God from all of eternity. That's what I deserve. But in the gospel, what I get is to be an heir of God in Christ. An inheritance that can never be taxed. Isn't that crazy? I mean, they're, they're, anyway, let's not get into politics. <laughs> taxes, goodness. By the way, the Bible says pay your taxes. And it's coming up quickly, so get on it. You have an inheritance because you have union with Christ. Now, I want you to imagine for a second some secret about yourself. Like if all of a sudden like, you discovered something about yourself, and it's this, that you, you're literally the son or daughter of a king. And you are. I mean, this is a metaphor of your relationship to God, so work with me. This king has adopted you and made you his heir. And he's a good king and a loving father. And he's promised to return. And because he's clearly not physically present right now. And you wonder at times why he doesn't come sooner, and at times you wonder if it's actually true, this adoption thing, because your life is really hard, and you suffer in this life. And you would think that with all this talk of adoption and heirs and co, you know, co-heirs with Christ and forgiveness and all this, that our lot in life would mean, therefore, you will live above suffering. Therefore, nothing bad will ever happen to you. Therefore, you know, you're more than conquerors, and the Bible does say that, in Christ. Therefore, you're going to be rich. All your dreams will come true, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You think that would be the conclusion, but Paul says, all this is true of you if you suffer with Christ. Suffer with him. I mean, that seems a weird clause, right? Like, so all of a sudden, like, hey, uh, you're heirs. You, you have this amazing relationship with God, and you're going to really suffer here in this life. But that is what Paul says. But this king is writing you a letter and saying, I will return. And here's what I need you to know. You are my child. You're, you're, you're adopted by me, and I'm returning for you, but I promise you, I'm going to use every single thing in your life right now that's difficult, everything that's hard. This is also in Romans, Romans 8, 28, that for those who love God, God works together all things for good. It doesn't mean everything is good. God takes the horrible, difficult, evil things that happen to you and that you perpetrate, and he uses it for good, and guess what that good is? It's not that you get all your wildest dreams. It's that you become holy and become more and more like Jesus Christ. In Christ, you're forgiven, you're loved, you're included in the family, and then God is faithful to use the details of your life in such a way by his sovereignty to make you more and more and more like his son, which is called sanctification. So, you're adopted by this amazing king. He loves you, you're secure, you have assurance. And, and there's all these promises. And, and, and I know, I'm telling you this because I want you to know because when you suffer, you're like, well, maybe I'm not a child of God. No, <laughs> that's not what the Bible says. Don't read through the lens of your circumstance and say, well, my circumstances are hard, therefore I must not be adopted. In fact, Paul says quite the opposite. As you suffer with him, the spirit testifies with your spirit that you are a child of God. This is no fair, fairy tale. This is the gospel. So do you see that this is your identity and it needs to be your identity? This is the central thing that you need to be living out of. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. You know, my car gets hit. It, I don't have to be ruled by that. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. Something much worse. That was nothing. 
I have cancer. I won't be ruled by that. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. Whatever difficulty you're facing, whatever trial or tribulation you're going through, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. It will not be identified by that. I'm a sinner, yes, but that's not my true identity. My true identity is I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I was created in the image of God. That's my true identity. I'm an heir. I'm adopted. And so adoption is our identity. Adoption is our identity because you've got to realize you were an orphan. You're a spiritual orphan, and yet in Christ, you're now a son and a daughter of God, and that should be your primary identity that then shapes your calling in life. And that should shape who you are and shape what you're about. And what Paul is saying is this, therefore, and he's not talking about literal adoption, but the rest of the Bible does that for us. He's talking about theological adoption, but the rest of the Bible talks about physical, literal, real people being invited into real homes adoption. In fact, we're even commanded to do so. Deuteronomy, let's start in Exodus. Exodus 22, verses 22 through 23. I'm not going to overwhelm you with all the verses. We'd be here too long. Here's a sampling, a taste. Exodus, second book of the Bible. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. Throughout the Old Testament, you think it's all law and it's all, you know, God's just angry, needs medication, but there's so much grace in the Old Testament. And I understand there's a lot of law and there's a lot of stuff going on that it's hard to understand as well. But there's so much mercy and loving kindness as well. And what you see throughout the Old Testament is God's heart for the fatherless and God's heart for the widow, the people in that culture that were most marginalized by society and had the most to lose. God says, I care for those people. Exodus 22, I will hear their cry. Deuteronomy 24, 19, a book most of us skip, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, <laughs> too much law for most of us, but it says here, 24, verse 19, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. Oh, wait, I dropped a sheaf, whatever that is. <laughs> you know, it's a large amount of grain, I'm guessing. Oh, wait. It says, no, don't go back and get it. Why? It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, the orphan, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Has God blessed you? The answer is yes. God has blessed you. Has God blessed you materially? Some of you perhaps not. Most of us probably. And what the Bible says, and we Christians in America don't often get this, is then you have a responsibility. It, to much whom is given, much is required. And there's a calling then to care for the fatherless, for the widow, for the orphan, for the needy, for those who, who are most marginalized in society. And in the state of Arizona, there is this enormous need. Kids who, he, he, Gray kept calling it the system, the system, the system. I don't know about you, but I was born into a family. Imagine that being born into a system. 
where everything is regulated so tightly and, and controlled so minutely that literally there are kids in the system that when they get out or they age out, never having been adopted uh, by a family, that they literally don't even feel responsible for themselves in such a way like, well, when do I go to the restroom? And when do I do this? When do I make a meal? Because the system has just always been there and provided it for them. You're not born into a system. You're born into a family. Isaiah 117, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. Not all of us are going to adopt, but we should be pleading the case of the widow. We should care when we see a Facebook feed about the problem in Arizona. Don't just pass it. You're like, oh, another emotional appeal, or you know, this and I can't deal with that right now. Just stop and, and be knowledgeable about what's happening in our city, and then plead the case of the widow. Vote the, for the case of the widow and the orphan. Think about the case of the widow and the orphan, and, and, and take action. Matthew 18.5. Jesus, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever does good to the poor, whoever whoever brings a cup of cool water, whoever visits someone in prison, whoever does any of, the, any of these things to, the, to one of these little ones, does it unto me. And then finally, James 127, from, from which AZ 127 gets its name, its ministry. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I mean, James doesn't mess around. <laughs> James, like, James is like an Old Testament prophet. And James says, you've got faith, awesome. If you really do, then your life will demonstrate it. That's the message of James. We're going we're gonna to preach James next year. We're going to go through every verse. And in James, he, he keeps saying, look, hey, here, here's the thing. You've got faith. Yes, you're saved by grace through faith, but a real faith in Jesus Christ will work. If you actually have faith, there'll be fruit. Jesus said that. You know a tree by its fruit. If you actually love Jesus, there will be actions attacks that will uh, of love and mercy and kindness and justice attached to you because the Holy Spirit has come into your life, shown you, I'm a child of God by grace. I'm adopted by God by grace. Therefore, my life begins to demonstrate that very imperfectly, but that there now begins to be fruit in my life towards other people. So, James 1.27, religion that is pure and defiled before God, is this. Visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. This should be true of all Christians, but for us in Arizona, this is particularly true because the crisis is so enormous. There are currently 21,455 people in foster care, children, ranging from infants to 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds. More than 800 children age out each year. Well, what's that mean? They never were adopted. What's the likelihood of that child being in prison someday? It's really high. Why? You've never been in a family. You've been in a system. Guess what the easiest system is? <laughs> Prison. Guess who incarcerates more people than anyone else in the world and yet has a relatively small population compared to a lot of places in the world? United States. 
2,750 children in Arizona today are in shelters and group homes. What does that mean? That means almost 3,000 children, that's roughly a local high school, so when you go by Desert Vista, Corona, Mountain Point, let's call it, they have roughly 3,000, every single student they represent in a sense, if they would go home at night, they don't go home to a home, they go into a group home. That means there isn't even a foster care situation for them. They're not adopted, and they're not in a foster care situation. They're living in a group home, not in a home, in somebody's house, like like literally an institution, an orphanage, in essence. It's overwhelming. In Arizona, and I looked for the different stats, but I've been told by the experts that Arizona literally is the worst in, in the United States proportionally and statistically. Us and other states that we don't want to get thrown in with. (laughs) In education and everything else. So what can we do? And I've gotten to the point in my life where honestly when those syrupy, like emotionally appealing, like dog commercials come on and Sarah McLaughlin's like making us feel horrible and like, it's like I I, I turn the channel, I can't do it. Like, like, ah, you know, it's too much. (laughs) <laughs> I'm running, I was w- on the canal path this morning and I saw a baby duckling without its, its mother and chicken duckling people and uh, it was alone in the canal. <laughs> and I got all emotional about this little duckling. Where, little duckling, where's your parent? You know, and mom was down the way and you know, I'm like, okay, you guys will get reunited, it'll be okay. But like, and I was convicted, like, I think I might care more about that duckling sometimes than I do this orphan crisis. I'm about to go preach on this, but I'm about ready to alter my schedule and, and be late for church because I'm going to go with the kids and go, we have to get the baby duckling. And I mean, that would be a great thing to do, but like, when you leave today, would you please don't pass the pictures out there. These are real children right now in the state of Arizona that are in a group home and, or foster care and have not been adopted. As Gray mentioned, would you stop? Would you actually pray over them? I've gone long. Let me, let me ask you one last question. Wouldn't you expect an orphan who'd been adopted into a family, so wouldn't you expect someone that was adopted and brought into an amazing family and was loved unconditionally and, and then was raised, like, kind of from infancy all through their life, but they knew the story. I was adopted, and I was brought in this gracious situation. Wouldn't you expect them, then, to be one of the greatest proponents and advocates for adoption, right? Somebody that was adopted, brought into a great family, was loved unconditionally, not, no abuse in the situation, just loved, loved, loved. Wouldn't you expect them, in turn, then, to go out in the world and be the greatest advocates for adoption? Yes? Well, that's you, and you knew I was going with that. You were a spiritual orphan with no hope in the universe, lost, and yet you were adopted into this loving family that is the king of the universe. It's God himself who's loved you, and he loves you unconditionally, and and your whole life, you're going to be learning that, and then we'll have eternity to praise God for that reality. Therefore, shouldn't we, among all people in the world, and let me just get a little narrow here, but friends, Jesus Christ is Lord. Those of us who are his kids, we know the living God. So compared to every other religion, compared to every other people, and there's lots of good people in the world, and they're not necessarily Christians, but I'm talking about us now. Those of us that love Jesus, shouldn't we then be the most 
oriented towards advocacy of adoption. And there's just something, because that's true, then I plead with you, begin the process of just being informed. What do you do? Get more informed. I will be here April 15th with my family, and and we're going to listen. I'm not planning on adopting right now. I'm pleading the cause to you right now. I'm praying about it, but like we have no plans, but we're just coming open. God, what would you have us do? Is it to support Heidi and her family? Is it to adopt? Is it to like lead this church to adopt a bunch? I'm not sure, but I know this. I have to be more informed. It's two hours, 6.30 to 8.30. In light of this reality, and literally, you might have something on your calendar that's not able to be altered. There are many other orientations around the valley. Find one. Let us help you find one. Be here and pray. And part of it is not necessarily adopting, but it's supporting, leaving the grain, uh, pleading the case. Not everyone is called to adopt, but what Heidi's, I love about Heidi's story is some people who are don't even realize it. And I can't imagine the joy it will be to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, when he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you as we come to your table that Jesus was treated as an orphan so that we could be your adopted sons and daughters. On the cross, he was fatherless that we might cry out, Abba, Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We thank you that he cried that out because in his cry of despair, when he was fatherless in that moment, it was so that your beautiful peace and rest could fall on us. We praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.